0: thought that was a peanut, but it's the end of a microphone windshield. i been snacking on the platform and didn't offer me any. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 10 again this Sunday. You know, during our prayer time, I, I didn't think and I should have said something uh, to continue praying for the Hardymore family. Uh, Derek and Karen, they've yesterday buried his grandparents, who were killed in the uh, tornadoes down in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. And uh, very suddenly, uh, they were found in their bed, in their home. Probably never knew the tornado was even coming. Uh, but they had visitation Friday night and yesterday, and then the funeral yesterday afternoon. So uh, keep the Hardymore family in your prayers. That's a shock to your system, no matter what. So, uh, And it was the day before hit Mr. Eaton's uh 85th birthday he would have been 85 the day the very next day so uh so just keep that family in your prayer and many others who are hurting down there we did talk to uh, going to alabama on wednesday i called uh, bill and nancy wallace who are former members of our church who live in cookville and they were spared it hit the street next to them and then another friend of mine from colleges in cookville mike casey and same thing with him it was uh, another street was hit just nearby but he was their whole their home and everything was spared so uh, just continue to pray for all those people down there all right hear the word of the lord from romans chapter 10 beginning in verse 14 really begin in 13 because we finished there last week but those these two kind of tie together verse 13 says for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved that's a great truth Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard, have never heard? And and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... Pastor Todd read this in our hearing the word this morning. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from me? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth Psalm 19:4 Paul quotes but i ask did israel not understand first moses said in deuteronomy 32 and again paul quotes moses i will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation i will make you angry then isaiah is so bold as to say I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Isaiah 65, 1. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. This is the word of our Lord. The Apostle Paul writing here is, is carrying on with this idea of the one who, conf- who believes in his heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confesses with his mouth that he is Lord, the one who calls out to Christ in the name of the Lord, that person will be saved. But he wants to talk about how do they get that message. And, and so he talks about preaching. He talks about proclamation. He talks about A messenger, or the word he uses, uh, Caruso, is literally the word for a herald or a proclaimer who sends forth this message. That's how salvation comes about in the most normal sense. I remember reading some years ago an excerpt from a a magazine called The Burman Missionary. It was founded years ago by Adnan Judson when he went to Burma to, to evangelize the people. But this was years later. It was just based on his ministry but that art, there was an article there that told of an old man who, when he was still a heathen, still worshiping idols, came into the possession of a copy of the Psalms in his native language. Someone had been passing through his village and had left that book and he found it and he started reading it. He began to read it and before he had finished the book, he had resolved to do away with all of his idols. Just in reading Psalms, he said, I know that my idolatry is wrong. There is a living and true God, and he is not wrapped up in these idols. And so he put away his idols, and for 20 years, he worshipped the eternal God that he saw in the Psalms. For 20 years. As a matter of fact, he used Psalm 51 daily as his prayer because he had committed Psalm 51 to memory. Then he had the occasion to go to a a larger city one day and he traveled there and he came upon a missionary from America. And the missionary began to share with him and gave him a New Testament. And he went home and he started reading that New Testament and he said, With unspeakable joy, I read for the first time the story of salvation. For 20 years I have walked by starlight and now I see the sun for 20 years I've walked in in twilight but now I see clearly I knew there was a God I knew that he existed I knew that my idols were not him but I didn't know the true and the living God that's found in salvation in Christ Jesus alone but now I've read the story of salvation now I have placed my faith in Christ and now I see clearly as it were with the sunlight the apostle Paul In writing to the Roman Christians, and ultimately in writing to you and me about this, makes it clear that there is a message that is to be shared. We sang about that all morning. Lift high the name of Jesus, cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. Send me, O Lord, send me. And there's living waters to be found in Christ Jesus. I mean, we sang the gospel of the New Testament. We sang what the Apostle Paul is talking about this morning as we lifted our voices in praise to God. It's amazing how when Paul talks about all everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he immediately goes forth and asks 3 or excuse me asks 4 questions. How can they call on one they've not heard about or not believed in? How can they believe in one they've not heard about? How can they hear about some without somebody preaching? And how can they preach unless they are sent? You could almost reverse that order of Paul's questioning there and say here's the way it works itself out in six verbs if you will in opposite order christ sends heralds heralds preach people hear hearers believe believers call out and those who are called are saved those who call out are saved paul says there's a there's a there's a logical sequence to what god is doing in the lives of people that he works in by his holy spirit through the gospel message, but we are to be the ones who proclaim that. Now, I I would ask you the question, and don't answer it out loud, but just think about it. What do most modern people think about preaching? What do most modern people think about preaching? You can pick it up by hearing people, if you try to talk to them about something significant and something important in their life, they will typically say, now don't start preaching to me. Did anybody say that to you? I mean, you stop preaching; you've gone to meddling now. You know, the, the idea that preaching today is something that is negative, something that is is judgmental, something that is, is, is that that most people in our culture today really want. Don't want anything to do with. But Paul makes clear here that preaching really is the primary means that God uses to save sinners. In 14 and 15 and verse 17, he makes it clear that that is what is taking place in the lives of people as the Word goes out. To call on Jesus in verse 13 is virtually synonymous with believing in Christ. And Paul is just reaffirming in these verses what he's been affirming the first nine chapters, starting all the way back. In chapter 1, that justification, being made right with God, being saved, if you will, is on the basis of faith alone. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, there's absolutely no other way to see this take place. And man cannot call, cannot believe, cannot call on him unless they hear about him. And Paul affirms the fundamental missionary enterprise of the church, to have people hear the gospel From somebody else. To have people hear the gospel from somebody else who is a believer. Now, that, the perennial question that always comes up when you start talking about things like that is this question. But what about the man or the woman, I suppose, but you always hear man, I don't know why they say the man. But what about the man or the woman who is stranded on a desert island somewhere who never? here's the gospel now in our day there's a lot of theory about that and in more liberal elements of christianity you're here to say well you don't have to worry about that person because that person if they never hear the gospel when they die god is going to give them a second chance to hear it going, he's going to tell them the gospel after their death and thus they'll have the opportunity at that point to believe that's very problematic When you have all through the scripture, like in the book of Acts, there's no other name by which man must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. When you have Jesus himself saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, and over and over again says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart now that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The idea is throughout all of scripture that there is no post-mortem a salvation experience or no postmodem salvation opportunity as a matter of fact if there is if, if those who are in that camp are right that those who never hear the gospel will indeed have a chance after they die to believe folks we are doing the world a grave misservice by sending out missionaries we ought to call them all home we ought to say don't, say don't say a word about the gospel to anybody in any land that has not been saturated with the gospel because maybe there's somebody there who hadn't heard and so one day they'll be given a chance. Don't mess it up for them now because they might reject it now. They might not come to faith in Christ now, but surely after they die and they see God face to face and God says, well, you got a choice here. You can trust in Jesus now or you can go to hell, you you can be separated from Christ for all eternity and from the grace of God and the love of God for all of eternity, surely that person would say at that point, oh, I I know what I want, and make the right choice. See, the problem is the Scripture gives no hope of that. That is modern-day wishful thinking. That is modern-day saying, well... This is how I can get out of sharing the gospel. This is how I can get out of being a proclaimer. This is how I can get out of telling people about Christ. This is how I can get out of the mission that I've been given. I I loved what the song we we sang and and the scripture we thought about in, in, in Isaiah's prophecy. Remember that great chapter in Isaiah Chapter 6, when, when Isaiah sees the vision of God high and exalted and lifted up on the throne in the temple, and, and the, the temple shakes, and the, the, there's smoke all around, and the, 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 the train of, of God's robe, the, and I think that's probably a picture of Christ on the throne, fills the temple, and everything shakes, and it's like an earthquake, and Isaiah falls down on his face and says, woe, am I, woe is me, I am undone because I've seen the Lord high and lifted up and I'm a man of unclean lips and and I am a and I live among a people of unclean lips what am I gonna do I'm gonna die right here in the presence of God and the angel flies to the altar and takes off a coal and with tongues and flies over to Isaiah and touches his lips and he said this has touched your lips you are forgiven you are cleansed you are made right with God through that and after all that experience after everything's done the voice of the God, of God says who shall i send and who will go for us who shall i send and who will go for us And Isaiah, who I think is probably still prostrate on the ground, laying laying as low as he can before God, even after he's been forgiven, looks up from that position, recognizing the the glory of his forgiveness, and he says to the Lord, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, you've done a work in my life. You've cleansed me. You've forgiven me. You've made me new. Here, Here, you need somebody to go. Here am I. Send me. And that's exactly what God does. He sends Isaiah to the people. Basically saying to Isaiah, you're going to go and you're going to preach and they're not going to listen. We read, Paul even quotes that out of Isaiah's prophecy a bit. That you're going to go and they're not going to listen to what you have to say. But you go anyway. You proclaim anyway. It's not up to you, Isaiah, to save people. It's not up to us in Grace Baptist Church in in, in 2020. To save people, it's up to the Lord God, 21st century, excuse me. It's up to the Lord God to do that. But it is our responsibility to go. Yes, even to the man or the woman on the desert island who's never heard it because they cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. They cannot hear unless somebody tells them. Somebody preaches to them. But, but in our day, preaching is not that popular because there's some distinctives about this preaching that Paul talks about here. He uses that specific word, karuso, in the Greek, which literally means to preach or to herald. To herald. In, in olden days and in the in New Testament days, they didn't have the Internet for their news. You know that? Did you know that? They didn't even have CNN, Fox News, or any other news item on television. They didn't even have television, believe it or not. But what they had was a herald in the city square. And when something would happen, the herald would go out and he would cry out with a loud voice, Hear ye, hear ye, this is the news. And it even happened in colonial America. That's how the news was spread uh, with the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the signing of the Constitution and other things. A herald would go out in the square and would proclaim it. I remember being at Williamsburg, uh, Virginia several years ago. We lived in Virginia and going there on the 4th of July... And, and it was such a glorious time because they reenacted what took place when they got word about the declaration and, and everything being signed. And they, they proclaimed that through a herald in the square there in Williamsburg. And what Paul is simply saying here is we have to be heralds. We have to be those who cry out to a lost and a dying world, a lost and a dying generation, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the only way. But you know what that does? That offends people. Because you see, preaching, proclaiming, what are some distinctives of it? Well, first of all, it is Centered. Preaches not self-help. Preaches not seven better seven ways to have a better marriage. Preaches not you know some kind of a a pop psychology that helps you get through the day. Preaching is centered on the word. And we live in a world that's very self-centered. I don't want to hear the gospel. I don't want to hear the proclamation of of the word. I just want to hear what will help me. What will make me feel better? What will help me have a little more strength to face whatever's coming my way today? Well, I think the Word will give you that, but not necessarily in the way the world is looking for it. It's word centered. Preaching is word centered. We tend to be self centered. Preaching is authoritative. Thus says the Lord. You remember the old saying? I mentioned this before you, know, there's, uh, you see bumper stickers that say, God said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, there's one phrase in there that's absolutely superfluous, one phrase in there that's absolutely irrelevant. If God said it, that settles it, whether you believe it or not. It, it's what God has said. And preaching to be authoritative. What is the Lord saying? But yet we live in a day in a world that is very anti-authority. Watch Watch the political campaigns? There's this anti-authoritarianism that runs through everything. We want no one telling us how we're to live or how, what we're to do. We want no one telling us what we do with our lives as we perceive them and as we claim them to be. But the Word does speak to that very authoritatively. Preaching is, as I've said, proclamation or heralding. In a world that really prefers dialogue, Let's don't, don't preach to me, dialogue with me. Let's just discuss this. You have a lot of Bible studies today that are based on dialogue. They may read a passage of Scripture and then they say things like, well, what does this mean to you? Folks, I don't want to know what it means to you. I don't really care what it means to you. I want to know what it means. I want to know what God is saying. Not some kind of subjective idea that I've worked up and I say, well, this is, this is, how, I, this is how it makes me feel, and so this is what I, I feel like it's saying. What is it saying? Tonight in my class, you're in my class, you can hear a lot about that. Because Spurgeon teaches in a sermon, he taught how to read the Bible. And we're going to talk about how to read the Bible tonight. And the very first thing is you read it as though it's coming from the very voice of God. You know why we read it that way? Because it is, it really is. Fourthly, preaching is corporate. It's corporate. It involves a group. It involves a body. Now, the body may be just two or three people. But we live in a, in a culture in a world that prefers individualism. I just want to, I want to be right with God and I want to mind my own business. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be talking to anybody else about it. But Paul says, if that's the case, then you've probably not had an Isaiah-like experience. Because once you've had an Isaiah-like experience, and I don't mean a physical vision of God. I don't mean a, a going into a temple or into a church and seeing this vision of God. But I'm talking about the, the key point of Isaiah's experience there was that he was forgiven. He was cleansed. And Isaiah seems to indicate and Paul seems to indicate that when that takes place in a person's life, then there is something that can't keep them from telling other people about it. He asks those four questions. How can they hear? How can they believe? And then he goes to the Old Testament and he builds his case. He says, first of all, I want you to know, they can't say we've not heard anything about God. I think about that guy in Burma who who had just found the Psalms. He didn't know about Jesus, although the Psalms certainly were pointing him toward Jesus to the point that when he got a New Testament and read it, He saw the light. It beamed upon him by the Holy Spirit's grace. And he saw that Jesus was the only Savior. But the the, the Psalms gave him enough light to know that there's something else out there that's more important than his idols and his paganism. The psalmist that Paul quotes here in, in verse 18 says, Their voice is going out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He's talking about general revelation there. He's talking about no one has an excuse to just say, well, God, you didn't tell me you were there. He said he is exposing himself in all of creation, in all of the universe, in everything there is. No one can say, "I, I don't have an idea that there's a God there because he is showing himself to be there. Quotes Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful those are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, there's an implicit understanding of the good news here that Paul has been dealing with. And the good news is simply this. Man was created in a perfect state. He was, he was created to have perfect fellowship with God. And yet, because of our, our parents, Adam and Eve... Man fell from that state. Woman fell from that state. And so we live in a fallen world now. And we are suffering because of the sin that our first parents committed and has been passed on down through posterity, known as original sin, if you will. And, and, and we are born sinners. And we sin because we're sinners. And, and, and that's really bad news. But the good news is that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus into the world who, who lived a perfect life in obedience to the law completely, who went to the cross and died for our sins, was buried in a grave, and three days later came forth. So implicit in Paul's saying here and quoting Isaiah, how, how beautiful those are the feet of those who preach the good news. The good news is the entirety of the gospel message from creation to consummation he's coming again to put everything right he's coming again saying that to put everything right but some will reject it he makes that clear in verses 16 and 18 through 21 he said but even moses said quoting god speaking for god In Deuteronomy 32, 21, he said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That is the Gentiles. Paul said it's been the purpose of God all along to save peoples from every corner of the earth. It's been the purpose of God always to to, to use the Gentiles to, to energize the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, to be evangelistic and missional in their view, but they didn't do it. They got angry because God cared about the Gentiles, because they hated them. Israel heard the gospel preaching, verse 18. They heard it because it went out through all the earth. They heard it because it was proclaimed. Thus Israel, who Paul is concerning himself with in these chapters primarily, Israel can't say, well, I didn't know, I never heard the message. They heard it from the day of Pentecost on clearly. As the apostles proclaimed it. And as they refused to believe. They even understood it according to Moses. They, they understood that God was doing something to make them jealous. God was doing something to to cause them to, to rethink who they are in Him, and they never did it. At least many of them never did that. Israel still rejected the gospel preaching, 20 through 21. And and so Isaiah said, God is calling for himself a people who didn't seek him. He's showing himself to those who did not ask for him. Those who had no way to know, because they didn't have the law, and they didn't have the prophets, they didn't have the tabernacle, and they didn't have the temple. But God is calling a people to himself. God is calling a people out of Israel. God is calling a people from among the Gentiles. God is calling a people from every tongue, tribe, nation on the face of the earth, according to Revelation. That that at at some point, somebody or some people from from every one of those tribes and tongues and nations will will come to faith in Christ. Jesus even said, I've got a people who are not of this tribe. Talking about the tribe of Israel. I've got a people who are not of this tribe and they will come to me when they hear the gospel so Paul says here's the mission of the church it's to be preached with truth and authority and conviction from the pulpits by those who have been called and set apart to the office of pastor teacher by those who have been as we talk about it ordained to the gospel ministry But it's not just us. It's a calling that goes to every believer. It's a calling that goes to every person who has had their lips touched by the colds from the altar, as it were. Touched by the Spirit of God. Forgiven by the Spirit of God. It's the call of every one of us to speak the truth of the gospel wherever we are. Not to be ashamed of that. Not to shy away from that. But to speak the truth of the living God that is so important so key to this what Paul is saying here is that hearing and understanding the gospel message doesn't always mean somebody will believe it because Jews heard it many Gentiles heard it They even understood it to some degree what the preachers the proclaimers were saying but when the Holy Spirit works, as it were, with the tongues from the altar in Isaiah's vision and touches his lips, and when the Holy Spirit works and touches your life and brings forgiveness and righteousness, it means we call out to him, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I, I, I confess that you are Lord. Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart, at the, at the most, innermost part of my being, I believe that God raised you from the dead. As an approval, as a, as a stamp of approval on everything you've said and everything you've done, I believe that you once were dead in the grave, dead, not swooning, not acting, not pretending, dead. And three days later, God raised you from that dead. And because of that resurrection, we can know resurrection life in the present and eternal resurrection on that day when He comes again. But just because the preaching is preached, and even with clear understanding... It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the preaching if the message is the message of Scripture. The problem isn't with the delivery system. It's not that we need to forego preaching and somehow make it a lot more entertainment-centered, you know. We can draw a lot more people in if we if we sing other things. Lights and mirrors and smoke and, you know, just really jazz it up problem's not in the delivery system, folks. The problem's in the recipient. And their need to trust in Christ alone. I love Beth played for the Offertory. That was an oldie but a goodie. People need the Lord. I was glad that at the end, I was sitting there thinking, when did I first hear that song? published in 1983 many of you were not even born in 1983 and yet that was that was that was high contemporary music in 1983 I remember singing at Indian Creek Baptist Church and thinking wow what a great truth people need the Lord when are we going to realize?" he's talking to the church when are we going to realize people need the Lord they don't need to up their morality They don't need to up their religiosity. They don't need to up their church attendance. All of those may go hand in hand. But their real need is the Lord. Their real need is to hear the gospel. And there's somebody in your life. There's somebody in your life that may only hear the gospel if you share it with them i don't know who that is and and i'm just saying god has planned to do it that way god would have done a lot better i think had he decided to let the rocks cry out because we flub it a lot of times you know there's a thing going around in, in baptist circles now and i i like it who's your one Who's your one? Who is the one person that God wants to use you to share the gospel with? We, we kind of thought about that some. When we talked about uh, our, our reach out uh, emphasis a year or so, a couple of years ago. We identify and we invest and we invite to Christ. We identify who that one is. We invest in their lives for gospel purposes. And then we invite them to Christ by sharing the gospel with them. Paul says, that's God's plan. Yes, he will use, I hate this term, professional preachers. But he wants to use you as a herald, a proclaimer just as much and maybe more effectively at least as effectively as you share that with those who are in your circle how will they hear how will they believe unless someone tells them will we Tell them. Pray with me.